Mech Football Pod. Caleb's here. Well, he's he stepped away really quickly. Uh, Justin, Justin's here. Whole family's here. Whole family will get here once Caleb gets back. Uh, but Justin, I saw you at the Mac Championship game. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was definitely there. Seeing you was probably the most exciting thing that happened. Yeah, because that, that game, game was uh, poopy. Probably should have been, in all honesty, a seven to three final. There were a couple of people sitting in front of us that had a sign that had over 54 and a half written on it. We were very confused at first about who they were actually cheering for. Those guys had a bad time. I think they got up and left after the first quarter because they were like, this is definitely not hitting the over. You told me that they were cheering for both teams, though, right? Like both offenses? Yeah, it was super confusing at first. Like me and my friends that I was there with were like, we, we can't figure these guys out. They weren't wearing either school colors. They were just cheering for very odd things. But when they held up the sign, it all made sense. Caleb, what was the over-under that you set for yourself when you went to the bar of how many drinks you were going to have and mm. how far over the over did you hit? That's a really good question. Um, my guess was I was going to end up at like 10 drinks while I was there. Uh, it's hard to say whether I actually got there or not, uh, but let you want to run through it? Please. Okay, well, uh, when I got there, first thing I had was a Bud Light. And then, so I think it was like it was like a bottle of Bud Light. Or no, it was a draft of Bud Light. Draft of Bud Light. And then I had a Coors Light. I bought a whole bucket for random people who showed up because more people showed up than I expected, which made me very happy. Met some Told new you. people, met some new Bobcats. Huh? Told you it would happen. Yeah, it was good. I was very excited. Um, saw some people from college I hadn't seen in a while. That was cool. And then, you know, I had my core and cores. And then despite me handing an entire bucket of cores that I purchased to people, there was two left. So I took another one. So I had one of those cores. Hey. And then I ordered at least three 22-ounce steins of Bud Light. Like 20, yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody gave me a tequila shot. Somebody gave me another tequila shot. These are all Bobcats. Like, this is, this is how it's going to launch the streaming channel. I hate it so much. <laughs> this is how it was always going to go. Um, so, when you consider the 22 ounce steins of Bud Light, it probably did get up to 10. Oh, and then I took a random Bud Light from somebody's bucket because there was this older couple who went to OU who was from South, Southern Ohio. I met random people. It was it was just the inter- most interesting experience. And then I went to another bar with my cousins and they bought drinks. And then I took an Uber to another bar and had drinks there. And then I walked to another bar and had drinks there. Jesus. And, Jesus. and then I walked to another restaurant and had a margarita and dinner. And I don't really remember anything after that. Kids, enjoy your 20s while you still have them. That's that's the lesson. Um, Caleb, how I'm sure kidding. are you that you are alive and that this isn't just like some sort of dream? Yeah, Ohio might have actually won. I would be infinitely happier and not full of depression and sadness if I was dead. Aww. Well, I obviously <laughs> don't like that. Yeah, I, I love the way that this uh, this podcast is going right now. Well, Caleb, I'm happy to report that unless Alex and I are also both dead and in the same dream, 
you're very much alive. God damn it. And with us. And I'm sorry that everyone's favorite Mac football pod <clears throat> told them that this game was going to be very good. <laughs> I know he doesn't listen, but shout out to my former coworker, Kevin from Cleveland, who went to Ohio, who I told him that the underdog had won outright in the last four Mac title games and that I would be betting on Ohio and he should too. My bad, man. Honestly, anybody that takes advice from us, uh, one, well, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't honestly feel bad if people take advice from us and they get salty about, about it, it because, like, why are you taking advice from us? Why are you? No, it, it's just not smart. Like, no. I don't feel bad about it. They're, you're just not smart if you're doing it. Idiot. Bro. This game was over when there was a series of play call decisions that I did not like from Ohio. Oh my God! Please, for the um, this is the drive that ended in a uh, missed fifty-six yard field goal. That was so uh... bad. Ohio does the correct they get to the pseudo 37. Ohio does the correct thing in throwing on second and ten. Yeah. Now, Nathaniel Vegas is a very good kicker. For any kicker in college, what Ohio basically did here is they throttled down to play safely for a 56-yard field goal attempt. You should not do that. They were averaging something like two yards per carry at the time. What so tools? I think the idea was if we hand it off to CA Bangura, they're not going to expect it. Everything's going to be okay. If he gets four yards, it's well within range. Ohio should have been throwing the ball there again. They were down 10. Um, I didn't like that. They settled for a 56-yard field goal, missed it. And at that point in the game, the way it had been played, 10 points was too much. Um, that, I thought, was the nail in the coffin uh, if it hadn't already happened but it was it was it was on a drive following up toledo had a fifth or 16 play 90 yard touchdown drive because at that point you know ohio's down three and they're forcing toledo to go 90 yards and at that point the ohio side of the crowd was really getting into it you could kind of feel the game starting to tilt and that's a championship drive from toledo and they followed up by getting a stop on the next drive and that game was over, but everything was decided in that five, 10 minute period right there. Yeah. It's um, it was not fun uh, that I was some drinks in and, you know, still thinking rationally at this point, I'd like to think. And when they ran the ball in third and 10, my mind instantly went to, are we really in the biggest moment? Like, I would love to think that that third and ten wasn't shouldn't have been the biggest moment of the game, but the decision to go conservative while that far away from field goal or like whatever at the edge of field goal range, given the situation, what is the? I, I get that you're not on your first string quarterback, but in what situation does it make sense when you're losing to play conservatively? Unless you're thinking we can't score points, we so we have to hope that they don't ever score again. So, um, in that moment, I'm it, it just basically just kind of registered as Ohio thinking we can't win with Harris as the quarterback. We don't trust our offense to make plays after this. Maybe, like, they maybe we'll get lucky. I mean, like it's not like he he tried to stretch the field as much as like Ohio. Look at the season it's had. How is it? How has it, you know, gotten to this point? It's because Curtis Swark was able to air it out to its big receivers and let them make plays. C.J. Harris didn't offer that. Like, C.J. Harris's, 
like real only like attempt downfield was picked off and it was like not like you know not a good decision honestly it was double covered just wasn't a good game for Ohio's offense to like show out like you said and like while C.A. Bangura is only rushing for less than three yards a carry it's not you know he's not getting any help uh, Toledo's defense to give him some credit where it's due like they put a lot of you know put a lot of pressure on him you know and their their defensive backs they had good coverage on the receivers so it just added up to not be an easy day for Ohio's quarterback for the first time of his career was asked to do something I think the biggest thing was that Ohio did not get chunks and that's that's credit to Toledo you look at what they did up front and I mean if you just put your Sometimes in football games, you can just put the camera in the middle of the field and just look at what goes on between the tackles. And if all of you, if all you saw was what happened between the tackles in that game, and you were to base everything on that, you're like, okay, Toledo owned this game. And they spent a lot of time in the backfield. Like it was pretty obvious. Yeah. That it, like they they were just getting back there every play, and the defense that Toledo we expected to see all year really showed up Mm -hmm. Um, and they didn't really turn in a very good offensive performance, but they did enough. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, no, no huge chunks out of Toledo's offense, like either side. Like I thought it was going to be like way more high scoring. I thought there would be like a lot more chances taken downfield out of both offenses. Not a lot of that. A lot of like, you know, just run your quarterback around as much as possible. And whoever can just, you know, outrun the rest of the defenses, you know, that's kind of what it came down to. Daquan Finn had an okay day passing, not too much better than C.J. Harris's. Um, but on the ground, 86 yards on, well, yeah, officially 86 yards on 18 carries. Um, that doesn't account for all the yards that he had to run, you know, east, west, and south just to get a little bit of north because uh, he was just running everywhere. Ohio, I've I've been crediting Ohio's defense, especially in the second half of the season, because that's when I've really noticed that it's just like kind of turned up how nasty they've been playing. Um, they didn't tackle well. They didn't tackle well. Like they contained, but they didn't tackle well. And that's how Daquan Finn was able to run around and kind of create some space. There were like there was a play in like the third or fourth quarter where like he was changing direction and he got so low that. You know, the whole side, Ohio side thought that he, you know, had his knee go down instead of having an eight-yard run. Nope, he was actually, uh, he was good. And then a couple plays later, he finished up with a touchdown. Um, I kind of thought, like, and I don't like being, you know, Mr. Anti-Referee. Yeah, I don't really pull that card out too much. But in such a low-scoring game like that, it was noticeable that, like, in the two touchdown-scoring drives, there were moments like that where... It kind of looked like Toledo kind of got a benefit of the doubt on like the officiating. Like on the first drive of the game, it looked like Ohio's defense caused a turnover on uh, Jawan Newton, Toledo's receiver, when an Ohio defender like you know got on the receiver, brought him down, and like was doing the thing where like the receiver rolls over the defender and the ball comes out before any of the limbs touch the turf. Um, it looked like that was kind of the case. It looked like it was going to be a fumble, but no, Toledo kept the ball, and then they scored like two plays later because Jaquaz uh, Stewart is a madman. That that guy played really great. Like, no bullshit, Jaquaz Stewart, before he got hurt, uh, that guy had a really, really good day running the ball. 
I got a from this game from that standpoint. Uh, the most frustrating part about this game, I, I I feel very lucky that Ohio got to this point. And the frustrating part about the game was the tackling because they were in a two possession game with a team that we can probably agree was the best team in the conference through most of the season. Sure. And the only issue I really had with Ohio was the play calling and the, the tackling and the tackling was not an issue. Most of this, like was not an issue for most of the max season. Sure. Was it like, you know, it, it bits and pieces Kent state comes to mind. Uh, non-conference schedule comes to mind, but Ohio lost key Thompson during this game. Mm-hmm. and he's been as integral part of this defense in the last two years as anybody really hurts it hurt to see him go out he was he came out twice he, he went out he twice and, once he, and yeah. then he went back in yeah. and came out again that yeah that really really sucked to see they showed they showed his reaction on the screen and i'm like because he knew he like he just wasn't gonna work yeah. out and he knew he had to come off and that that sucked mm-hmm. and even with that in mind Ohio did not just break. And it's not like Toledo was so banged up. I know like Finn's been battling injury, but it's not like Toledo is so banged up offensively that it's like, oh, you can chalk it up, whatever. They didn't have a very good offensive day because all their guys were hurt. They still had everybody else. Finn didn't and, look hurt. And like Max and Hook, I was kind of worried about his health on defense. He he played the whole game. So yeah, like Toledo was full strength, and you don't want to play them with their full strength, man. No. And, a, you know, a 17 to 7, it's just. It was disappointing tackling. It's not. It's not heartbreaking because offensively they weren't going to do enough to win. Um, the 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 regression to the type of play calling that I think I've gotten accustomed to seeing um, for Tim Alden teams was. Uh, it was hard to watch, and I know that it happened largely because Nathan Rourke was not out there. But I would rather them have lost by four scores playing aggressively than making play calls that you're just you're gonna that's gonna haunt you as a fan in the offseason uh in a close like in, in a conservative way close in a close game in the mac championship so that sucks if i can offer a consolation on that from the ohio side is that <clears throat> if you look back at the season Toledo had it's unprovable but i believe they sent back the final two weeks of the season because winning the mac title is all that mattered they did not need to beat BGA on the rivalry game. They didn't need to beat Western Michigan. I'm very confident in saying that these are two games that Toledo would have won had they needed to win them. And their only other loss in conference was a very freak fourth quarter against Buffalo. This is a 10-win team, more or less. And all the advanced stats basically agree with this. Because I think their post-game win expectancy for both BG and Western was positive. was, you know, greater than 50%. This is a team that should have won 10 games. And Ohio played them to, you know, they were a missed field goal away from playing this to a one-score game. Considering where everyone thought Ohio would be to that point, what a goddamn season. And like, what a what a game! If Toledo enters that game, ten, <clears throat> sorry, nine and three or ten and two, I don't know that you'd be leaving as, you know, as sour about how things played out. It probably would have felt more like I can't believe that they just played the game that close. 
so I think we've we soured a little bit on Toledo because of how they sort of limped into the title game and kind of took for granted how good this team was from basically open to close of the season. Yeah, but it's Toledo, so can't we want more? Uh huh. That's all. <laughs> of course. Like you got you, you got to want more than seventeen points. Is all I'm saying. I gotta weigh into before I get in because it's just I I really hate to be the referee guy because it's it's become one of my biggest pet peeves over time. Um, I'm not like going to complain. Either, I, but it I, was I don't bad. Want... It was noticeably bad. Yeah, I don't want to complain about the amount of bad calls. I just want to say. Given the the enormity of the moments and how much of an impact on the game those missed calls had, I don't I don't even want to say it's it's not that Ohio would have won if those calls hadn't happened. It's just that Toledo had the chance to establish control because of the egregiousness of those bad calls. And for, also, and for anybody who missed it, the I mean, if you look at the box score. Ohio only had two penalties for 30 yards. So Caleb, what, you know, what are the penalties that what would describe the moment and what that costs? The Specifically Toledo's first scoring drive, um, getting rolled over the top and having um, a fumble mm-hmm. uh, called not a fumble. And they had the chance to look it over. And, and I think did. anybody in. They did look it over. And then they, they said that it, uh, the call stands. To have the opportunity to look that back over and still get that wrong. It was a very quick review, right? Yeah, and they were very much like, we're right. Mm-hmm. And it also happened later. <sighs> there was a, um, okay, I while you're thinking of that, there's two that come to mind. One, there was, you, you say Ohio only had two penalties. I know one of them. One of them was when number 59 for Toledo uh, yeah. Defensive lineman was on top of over top uh, Andrew Titsworth, the um, center for Ohio, and you know still pushing Titsworth like you know in the face like after like the play's already done, and Titsworth is like pushing upwards trying to get him off me, you know get off me, get off me, and uh, pen- you know ref threw the flag and threw it against the Ohio guy who was on the ground trying to defend himself, uh, rather than the Toledo guy who was clearly the aggressor there like very dumb the even stupider one maybe i don't know was it was oh it was toledo ball and they put themselves in a third and 20 situation threw out of it you know pass complete to Jawan newton complete moves the chains tempo devin maddox the receiver you know he's called for offside so it's like okay no longer first and 10, first and 15. And then the refs say, we're yeah. going to review the third play, the third down call. <laughs> Should we We're going to make sure that that was actually a first, first down, down after we already threw a flag for the next play. <laughs> and everyone's like, are you allowed to do that? Yeah, no, like. It's like the ball wasn't us, snapped, so it's like, I guess they were, but it's like, why is this happening right now? <laughs> yeah, no, everybody in like my little like area of press row, we all had the same reaction. We were all like. This can't, this isn't right. Like, this is wrong, right? Like, this is, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And later, I mean, later as to, you know, the uh, the personal foul call really rubbed me the wrong way. 
that one is not so much a it had a huge effect on the game so much as like the that they made that call like yeah like you're serious right <laughs> it just it it sucked like come on like somebody's staring right at that at that happening um i don't know if it was the back judge in that situation but somebody's not throwing that flag if they aren't looking right at what's happening and, and what you see happening in, in in hindsight with the benefit of hindsight of course is somebody standing over a dude like pushing down at him and the other guy's like, get off me. And he's like, ah, oh, 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 look what he did. Um, Do you I'm not really going to take that. Like the refs like can like easily see like 69 is on his back. Toledo guy is on his feet. Like it's, I, I just don't get it. Like I would, I would love to hear the explanation of why that was called the way it was among other things. But that's specifically anyway. like, what the hell? You're just wrong. I, I do want to make the one point though. Uh, Finn's run where his knee looks like it's almost down. I really don't have an issue with that. That's just a judgment call and it's really close. So yeah, I thought he uh, was pretty good on that. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't think anybody really needs to complain about that. It was more at that point. I think Ohio, <laughs> Ohio fans were just frustrated that some really big time moments did not go in their favor. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, it's, it has nothing to do with the amount of calls. Just there were, there were calls that were made. They had the chance to review and, and they didn't get them right. And it made a big difference. And some, some obvious, a couple of obvious plays, and again, I don't think Ohio lost because of the officials. It just sucks. No, to yeah, see no, big, yeah, like big moments like that. Yeah, no, the officials didn't like, you know, keep Ohio from scoring all those plays. Like Ohio scored seven points because Ohio failed to score more than seven points. You know, there's a lot of things Ohio could have done better for themselves. Um, the refs just definitely didn't hurt Toledo's chances. And also, like, it just didn't earn any friends with Ohio. Even in the one play that they had to review for Ohio's touchdown, it was a C.A. Bangura rush, right? Yeah, two-yard rush. Okay. Even in that, because they went back to review it to make sure that he wasn't short, when the head – I don't know the names because I never – I'll never, like, look into the names of these things, right? Like, when the head official came back out of review, he was like, after review – the ruling on the field is that the Ohio runner scored a touchdown. <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> the dramatic pause. Yeah. <laughs> so I was dying. <laughs> he scored a touchdown. Oh shit! He said it. I was he like, oh, it. he's preparing for an explanation. A touchdown. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have a lot to hit on, so I don't have too many other thoughts on this Mac title game other than uh, congrats to Toledo, congrats to Ohio. It wasn't the game that we wanted to see. It wasn't the game we expected. Uh, that's to be expected, though. Um, we did get the two best teams that the Mac had to offer this year, though. Like, right. I know that there was, like, silliness with, like, how the Mac treated uh, the Ohio, or not Ohio, the Buffalo-Akron game and all that stuff leading up to it. We did get the two best teams on the Mac of the 2022 season, so sure I am did. thankful for that. Yep. Um, Jason Candle has two MAC titles. And we're kind of in the silly season now uh, with the coaching carousel. There are five open jobs right now across college football. Two of them are in the MAC. Um, what happens with Jason Candle and why isn't he already? 
filling one of these open uh, power five jobs. Well, let's look at these open power five jobs that we're talking about. Well, all the jobs. Well, why hadn't he filled open. any of them that were uh, previously available? And why is he not? I would I mean, okay. To reason. answer my own question, I know why he's not the head coach at Louisville right now is because they're waiting on Jeff Brom. If Jeff Brom says no, why shouldn't or why wouldn't they consider him at least? I mean, I think we've all beat that drum quite a bit about, you know, underachieving. I mentioned that this team probably should have won 10 games this year, but didn't like it would be very strange for a guy with two Mac titles to still be in the conference. Yeah. Considering the reputation. And it seems like he's been applying to enough jobs at this point to like try to get himself out. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're saying this at the same time that, you know, like so much has happened like all at once, right? Like, so what happened immediately after the championship game? Sunday was selection Sunday. So, you know, the playoff was announced. All the bowl games were announced. Mac, you know, the Mac teams have six to look forward to, uh, unless it's the Bahamas Bowl, then you probably don't want to watch that. Um, then right after that, the transfer portal opened up. And silly season for the coaching season, uh, you know, you have to talk about all that at once because all of these decisions are just kind of, you know, being moved at once. That's why, like, you know, why hasn't Jason Candle, like, moved up in the world? I don't know. He probably should have taken an offensive coordinating job that, you know, would be right for him, just like we just saw Sean Lewis do yesterday. We're, we're talking Tuesday night. Yesterday Alex, being Monday. I have a question for you. Did you take the phrase silly season for Bomani Jones? Uh, I thought Justin just said it, so that's why I was just going with it. <laughs> Justin. Yeah, I did. I don't know. Did you? I didn't. No, I didn't. But like, I thought maybe it was Stephen Godfrey. Yeah, I think that's like maybe. A, I thought that was more of like an SB Nation phrase. Okay. Okay. I've been listening to so much Bomani lately. I've been talking about Bomani with my friends a ton. Same. <laughs> he's got. A, he's, okay. got he's got good points on the on the Dion thing, which uh, which is important because Sean Lewis, you know. Hey. Hey, he easily he hey. left. Well, it's not official, official, but like it's pretty official that he's he's off to Colorado. You know, he hasn't tweeted anything yet, but you know the the coaching staff that he is about to leave behind is already tweeting about like Kent State's going to be in a good place. Don't worry, guys. Um, Western Michigan at the same time, Tim Lester. You know, we haven't found the replacement for him yet. At least that we don't know about. But you did no, ask about the leading. Candidate is Lance Taylor, the OC at Louisville. Yeah. Gino Gethukli. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I, I should know. know that. He spent forever in the MAC at CMU. <laughs> um, he's offensive coordinator at Cincinnati, was mentioned. Uh, Tony Paul, the Detroit News, mentioned Graham Harrell, but whoa, I will be very sure, not as a leading candidate, but as someone who interviewed <laughs> for the job, but he's the only person I've seen mention it. Um, and then Mike Hart. <clears throat> and, um, Lance Taylor, uh, Gino, and Mike Hart are the only three names that I've seen yeah. mentioned everywhere. A lot of chatter about Mike Hart in the group chat today. Yeah, because he's a very interesting candidate for a Mac job. Um, he's worked in the Mac a lot. He spent a lot of yeah. time at Eastern and Western. Um, I interviewed uh, him once. Yeah, I mean, he's, by all accounts, seems like a really, really good coach. Mm-hmm. Um have to imagine he's pretty happy in Michigan, but if he interviewed for a head job at Western Michigan, the, the, the reports are making it sound like he said no, but doesn't sound like he was the lead candidate anyway. I don't know. Um, he's Mike Hart. 
like he's a big name and a very good coach. Like you could do worse than hiring someone like him as your head coach of those three as a Western fan, very happy with all three. They could hire any of them. Um, I was a little shocked to see the Kent state job open up. Yeah. That's, that's the more interesting one right now, just because WMU has is basically publicly saying they're gonna they're willing to spend a million bucks, right? So if there are guys who are highly regarded that aren't taking that job for a million dollars, that could spell a pretty big problem about maybe not just Western, but the Mac as a whole. Kent State is interesting because I I'm just very curious if they're gonna stay in house or or go external because it's not a place that people win a lot. Yeah, um, there's a lot of ways that like this like. Not to think of, like, Kent State as the protagonist, but, like, Sean Lewis. Think of him as the protagonist for a second. There's a lot of ways for, like, his career to go from here because he came in as, at the time, you know, the the youngest head coach in FBS at the time. He got to wear that tag for a little bit, you know, had the brand, had, you know, the, the quick familiarity across the nation that, like, he was going to have a flash-fast offense. You know, if you liked what you saw with Dino Babers, uh, guess what? You're going to love even more of it now. And he, I feel like he buddied up with a lot of the right people, especially across the media. Cause like you notice that after the Georgia game this year, where like him and his coordinators like got on like the cover three podcast and like, you know, had done like a media tour with other, you know, other hubs too, to talk about, you know, how good Kent state is, even though it hasn't really won too many games and it's just going through its ass beating of a schedule. He was a guy that a lot of people expected to, you know, come into Kent State, throw a lot of, you know, have his team throw a bunch of passes, you know, do well, get the benefit of the doubt for just being a MAC team, just like everybody other, just like any other MAC team, you know. Um, and if they win any games at all, hey, great, you did it at Kent State, which is like the Eastern Michigan of the East. And it hasn't parlayed him into you know, a head coaching job elsewhere, at least not at the next, the next rank. The most recent like head coaching job that he was pretty much linked to was Cincinnati, which when he to- was a finalist, which is a big job. I mean, they're moving to the big 12. So this isn't the same type of Cincinnati that like a Brian Kelly and Butch Jones jumped to. Yeah. I don't know um, how many like jobs he was realistically like in for. I heard of a G5 school that he was probably a finalist for. I'm not going to like, you know, spill it out here. Uh, but he, you know, he, he's not, he wasn't going to leap up into that, that realm. Like he wasn't there for just three years. He was there for six, you know, if he was going to get, you know, that head coaching job, it would have happened just now. And Buffalo, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not Buffalo, Colorado, the Buffaloes. Um, that's the kind of program where like, if he wanted to go outside of his native footprint of the Midwest, Colorado's kind of the place and at the level of like mediocrity in the P five rank that he could have ended up as a head coach, but instead he's doing it as an offensive coordinator. He's doing it under, under prime because you know, Colorado's in a situation where they have to hire Dion Sanders and not a different head coach, you know, <laughs> because Dion is just like in his own world. So Sean Lewis, instead of being a head coach there and bringing on, you know, the coaching staff that he he likes and loves so much, 
he is leaving individually. I don't think any other coaches are following. He's leaving individually to go to to go to Colorado to to go to Colorado with Dion. And so what's that, what's going to happen from there? Is Dion going to last, you know, let's say three years at Colorado and go make a splash at a bigger P five school? Because I don't see him playing in there longer. And if that be, if that ends up being the case, maybe that's where either you know either Sean Lewis can follow Dion to the school after Colorado with Dion, or he can just hang out at Colorado and call his old homies. Part of this is assuming that Dion is going to thrive at Colorado, just at least the way that's framed, because I do think Dion is going to pull in a talent, and maybe in the Pac-12 it's going to work out. But I do think Bomani, we were just talking about Bomani, Bomani made some really good points about how he's going to handle adversity and how he's going to handle the scrutiny that he hasn't had to deal with before and how those players are. Um, how bought into what he's preaching in the context of like what Colorado's trying to do, is that going to work? And if Sean Lewis, you know, has a lot of success on that offense in like a year or two, like relatively speaking, say Colorado is actually like a six and six, seven and five, eight and four team. And Col- and Dion's not quite at that level yet. Who's to say Sean Lewis doesn't bounce after two years. Cause they're averaging 34 points a game and, uh, in in conference play against teams that you know can get shredded, and then he, then he goes and takes his job. And Dion's still there. I can't pretend to know whether it'll work or not. I do think it's no, a yeah, smart no, move. No, no, <laughs> I do think it's a smart move for like Alex. You mentioned that Lewis seems to like know how to like raise his profile, um, which is not me saying that he's not genuine. The dude very much is. This is a really smart football coach who is he's going to make a lot of money and like raise his profile in a very big way coaching with coach prime. So really smart move for him. What I'm more interested in is there's a lot of like ink being spilled or at least Twitter ink anyway, about what this says about the Mac, right? Like it's not the cradle of coaches anymore. This isn't, these are guys leaving for, coordinator positions and like are these jobs as coveted as they used to be etc etc and i think a lot of that's fair Uh, people talk about pete lembo pete lembo's move out of ball state and danny nose's move out of central michigan and i just a point on that if you're a person who's like not followed this conference both i joke about pete lembo being a good football coach and he had some really good seasons and he was awesome at lehigh like this is a a good football coach. He and Danny Nos were on their way to getting fired. <laughs> Those guys were not Sean Lewis in terms of the situation. You know what I mean? Like, it is interesting that a guy who was absolutely not getting fired by Kent State anytime ever, basically, had decided to leave for a coordinator job. Whereas with Enos and Lembo, it it, it came as more of a surprise. And, and that's the other way that this is different in well, my mind. Enos left like the Late. week of signing day. So Yes. So this is, and I made this point on Twitter too, in, in a back and forth with someone about like, this is, there's no way Kent State wasn't prepared for this. Like they might've been a little shocked in the cycle, 
but like they know who their guy is. Oh, and yeah, they, they know they, what it was going on. This is the timeline. There is no one when they hired him that thought he would be here for a seventh year. The timeline is absolutely as it was supposed to be. I think Kent State's going to be prepared and it's probably going to be the OC. At least I think it should be. Teams have had a lot of success. Teams that have had success replacing coaches and not falling off and keeping momentum going have generally hired on staff. If you've got a culture that you like and you've got something that's working, particularly the offense, which is what Kent State said they really liked about what was going on, it's Andrew Soder. Like, that's your guy. Um, and I hope that's the guy. I mean, for the good of Kent State and for the Mac, this is a tough job to win at. But I, I just – I don't want to read too much into, like – the conference is doomed and no one wants to coach here anymore because it is the, they are lower paying jobs than anywhere else. And I get the weather sucks, but like there are places you can win here. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Jason Candle will get a bigger job, right? Uh, PJ Fleck is currently coaching at Minnesota. Tim Alvin was linked to jobs. Mo Linguist is a rising star. Um, He gets mentioned for jobs a lot Mm -hmm. too. I think he interviewed Cincinnati opening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was linked there as well. Um, like, and people talk about Chris Creighton a lot too. I, I want to just pump the brakes a little bit on the narrative that it's like this is this is doom and gloom. I mean, it's definitely not great. Like, you would think that being the offensive coordinator at Colorado is not a, a more prestigious job than being a head coach somewhere in the FBS. Times have changed a little bit, and it's not every day you get to coach with like Dion fucking Sanders. Right. So like. There's a lot of signs that the Mac is in trouble. This is not one of them. It for my in my mind. No, like this is like what the Mac wanted. The Mac wanted high profile coaches that attract, you know, attractive markets, I guess. And this is it. Like Deion Sanders gets, you know, Kent State's offense. Like that's kind of what you wanted. Like may yeah, sure. It'd be cooler if you could say, like, oh, yeah, Sean Lewis, you know, he actually ended up winning that, that MAC championship, didn't lose it to NIU. Nope. And now he's leading Colorado. He, you know, Deion Sanders couldn't get that Colorado job because it wasn't open, you know? Sean Lewis is already head coach there. It'd be much cooler for the MAC to have that. But this works too. Linking those two together works. And then after, you know, whether. He stays with Dion to Dion's next job after Colorado. Whether Lewis works out and stays at Colorado, whether Lewis doesn't work out at all, maybe he gets fired this year. I don't know. But his, you know, his platform—not maybe not his platform, but like his resume—is is improved just from this. And if it's good for Sean Lewis, then it's good for the Mac. Uh, yeah, um, and I mean. Shit, he only beat Joe Moorhead by like what a touchdown. <laughs> so like, I I don't know that there was anything new happening at Kent from this. I don't know. Like I could spin it pretty easily as a good thing. Because one thing to keep an eye on, especially with these Mac moves, is like the first thing you have to ask when a coach leaves somewhere is like, is their offensive coordinator also highly regarded? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> The, the the biggest example of late uh, i guess it's kind of recent we're getting old so everything feels recent now uh when tim beckman left for illinois right notably the guy who didn't come with him that he thought was going to is matt campbell and like 
I'm not saying this is what the situation is at Kent State, but if they do hire internal, let's just keep an eye on that. Um, because like Andrew Souter has been with Sean Lewis every step of the way, basically, since they got into coaching, um, which is just a short while ago because they're all very young. But like, I'm, very, I'm just very interested in that name, uh, whether he stays at Kent State or ends up somewhere else. But it's, I don't know, very, that, that job's way more interesting to me than in, in terms of like the, the Mac barometer than like the WMU one is. Mm-hmm. Now you did ask about Jason Candle earlier. Uh, once, if he moves anywhere, um, then we're talking about the top two paying jobs, you know, head coaching jobs in the Mac being open this cycle. Um, What's your guys' gauge on like, both with sky high expectations? Yeah, I think seriously, it should be like, noted. For, I mean, relative to the competition, those are sky high expectations, and I imagine two schools that very, very much see themselves as wanting to be in the mix when the playoff expands. I know people make fun of that, but you kind of have to be thinking that way if you got the money to try. So, Shit, and if you're like one of like these other coaches, like like a Mike Tressel, because your name's right in front of me, Mike Tressel, uh, you might want to be like in the mix for both Western Michigan and Toledo being open at the same time. So you're kind of rooting for for Jason Candle to like take that OC job somewhere else. I don't know where that's going to be, but yeah, it'll be interesting to shake to see how it shakes out. Like I don't think we're done. When, when Kent State and Western fills. I don't think no one else is getting fired or anything like that. I mean, unless Mo Linguist leaves to go somewhere, but I, I doubt that highly. I mean, but I'm just an unsourced you idiot. You can't on the rule internet it out. Too, I mean, so I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was shocked to see Mo Linguist's name get brought up a lot, especially in relation to the Cincinnati job. Um, recruiter. Just because. Like, did people stop watching Buffalo after the win streak? Yep. You know what I mean? I don't think you can take too much of the wins and losses and, like, his, like, true year one into account. Like, I think you just have to, like, I don't know. I think you have to take the high marks for what they're worth and, like, not read too much into, like, what went wrong and, like, kind of look at those as, like, I don't know. Are they fixable at least? Yeah, fair. And I think that you do have to take a progressive approach when you're hiring coaches to like, what do we think this person can do? Not like, what have they done? Because like, what have you done? I think matters more for like, he's not, you know, going to like the SEC or anything, you know, like big time SEC. So like what you've done doesn't matter as much as what the you do. I get that. Because like, I don't, because if you just like stare too much at like guys' records, like especially overall, like it's going to lead you into a bad place. If you only were stuck with like the career record of PJ Fleck during his time at Western Michigan, you would think that he is just ass, but that is the opposite of the case. Yeah. At least at the G five level. And it also gets you in trouble on the opposite direction because like, you know, if you're an idiot like me who thought central Michigan was going to be good this year, part of the reason you thought they were going to be good was because their head coach has a track record at the G five level of winning a shitload of games. And, uh, you know, he didn't hear. Um, so it, it, it doesn't mean anything. I will say, though, I mean, the last thing on that note, and I'm just kind of arguing with myself here because I don't know the, the right answer to any of this, is that I, I, I'm i very uncomfortable with this idea that it's like 
did you see how this guy, how good this guy did here? Imagine if we gave him the resources of XYZ school. I don't know that that's a safe way of looking at it. And that's, I know we've talked about this offline a lot about like the Sean Lewis thing. And we'll probably talk about it with Mo Linguist in the future if they don't, you know, have the type of success that, you know, his predecessor did in Lance Leipold. It's like, you know, at what point I know Kent State's a tough place to win, but like Lewis's defining accomplishment at Kent State was like adding consistency to that team. And I don't know if that's a more impressive accomplishment than like what Daryl Hazel did by winning 11 games, Mm -hmm. but it is a place that at least once they've won big. And I just, if the Mac is as bad, I'm, I'm workshopping this thought real time guys. So I appreciate you bearing with me, but like if the Mac is as trash as everyone says it is, why aren't it's apparent best coaches winning it? And the coach that like everyone was ready to do away with just won it. And Tim Alvin, two coaches that everyone was like done with just played for the title. And all the hot names are guys that didn't. And one that just got, and then one that just got fired in Kalamazoo is giving interviews talking about how like he only got fired because it's a new AD and not because he went, you know, own four the last four years against Eastern. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm looking to, for help here. Help me help that make sense to me. Caleb, Look, if you're just going to raise all the questions here, if you're just going to raise all the questions, then the answer that you're seeking is probably smarter, coming from a smarter place than what we've got to offer. Uh oh. <laughs> I, I I do agree in that sense of, look, we were already get rid of Jason Campbell. I was, yeah, more than as much as anybody who was not a Toledo fan. It's like, hey, Jason Campbell's gonna be the first to go, and then it's Tim Lester. Well, Tim Lester was gone first. Jason Candle's winning a championship. Do you think Jason Candle could just go to Western and (laughs) (laughs) take the Western job? Brilliant. Why not? Problem solved. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wait. Many not. Many not. Why not? That would be the funniest goddamn thing to ever happen. That would be really good, Um, wouldn't it? Super unheard of. In the Mac, I mean, obviously, it's not going to happen. He just won a Mac title with Pluto, but like that doesn't happen in the G five very often. The most recent one was Mike Norvell, right, going to Colorado that I can State. Think of, yeah. Uh, I, do I wait? No, Jay. Do I have the wrong Norvell? No. Mike Norvell's at fucking Florida State. It's the the other Norvell. Yeah. Someone named Norvell is coaching at Colorado State. They're at Nevada the year before. <laughs> it's Jay um, Norvell, the former Jay. Nevada coach. I was going to say. I was like Mike. It's Florida State's head coach. Um, I know where you're going with it. Yeah. So at least I'm in the right sport. Caleb, I appreciate your support as a guy who is misnaming people all the time. I could have got more creative with it, though. Anyway, I think the point I was trying to make is just that, like, if the Mac is bad and everybody's down, I feel like every athletic department's got to be really pissed off (laughs) that they didn't win this thing. Like... No one should be happy. And so that's why I thought it was very curious, like that Sean Lewis, for example, 
became the hot name this year and not last year. I thought he was like he was still a hot name, but I just don't think like. Let, let me look at the the coaching. I think I, I think Alex is right. I think Sean Lewis was also a hot name last year. Also, Sean Frazier is somewhere stewing right now, thinking about how <laughs> they should be back. They should be back to back champs. <laughs> right. Well, and on Lewis being a hot name, I think he was linked to a lot of stuff and never got it. It's kind of the same. It's the Jason Candle situation too, where it's like link, 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 and then never happens. And I'm, I'm just in. Obviously, the chance to work with Coach Prime, I think, trumps this. But like, what made it more appealing to leave Kent State this year for a coordinator position and not last year when he probably could have named his price in, in a little bit better? This we don't need not need to get into this deeper, but on surface level talking about the opportunity to coach with Deion Sanders. Is it, is the appealing part of coaching with Deion Sanders, the fact that there's just more excitement than there will be around almost any program in college football, or is it the personality, the cult of personality that's Deion Sanders? What are we talking about when we talk about the, the opportunity to coach with Deion Sanders? And why is that more appealing for someone like Sean Lewis? So D because Deion's the show and like, there are he more opportunities good. that he'll like never like understand that are available to him that are coming his way because he's around him. Yeah. And like, it's going to be, if he does a good job, I think he will like for what it's worth. I know I'm, I'm being, I'm being like asking questions guy about Sean Lewis's record at Kent state, but I think he's a really, really good football coach. He's going to be great as an offensive coordinator at Colorado. Yeah. And he thinks that too. And if he didn't, he wouldn't do this. But like, if this goes well for him, people are going to notice in ways that they they might not have. Um, like you only know the name of the offensive coordinator if they're really damn good or if they're really damn bad. And if he's just really damn average, <laughs> and Colorado's good, like he's he's just going to be able to. It's going to get him where he wants to go. And in ways that like doing well at Kent State wouldn't. And also like you got to think like I've been thinking a lot about like what is the head coach that if you're just like, you know, state you, what does your head coach look like? Because the, the job of like head coaches and the way that we've been the way that we've been talking about coaches for the past like uh, what year is this? 2012, 2022 uh, past like 10 some years the job titles changed so much, especially in the past like few years. Like now everybody kind of understands like how like everybody is in like, you know, athletic departments know how much time has to be dedicated towards like, you know, dealing with NIL, deal, dealing with recruiting, dealing with personal matters, dealing with this, that, and the other, you know, people say it's like kind of like a CEO role, but like it is more like general managing where, you know, the, the job that Sean Lewis took back in 2018, 2017, like, it's it's changed. It's changed a lot. And it's not the job now. The, yeah. the rules, the structure, the even, like, the teenage kids in this stuff, the know-how of, like, how to work, like, these six, seven-dollar figures, you know, six, six to seven-digit figure numbers, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. 
it's changed so much and like he's not going to be able to get the experience being the head coach for Kent State for his seventh year. So get a change of scenery, get into a bigger realm while you're still in your 30s, still learning, you know, how this college game is going to change. And by the time you're looking for another head coaching job, when you're like 41, 42, after you spent a few years in Colorado, like your know-how of like how to deal with like the future of NIL, especially standing next to Dion the whole time, it's invaluable compared to, you know, sitting around at Kent State and hoping for another MAC championship and trying to level up the hard way. Because then, if he would have done it there and say, like, he would have gone to uh, Justin name a school that Sean Lewis would probably go to in, like, two years if he would have stayed at Kent State. Just name anything like that. Just, oh, I don't know who's ready to fire anybody. Just per- Purdue. Just a hypothetical school. Purdue. Okay, good. Purdue. That's that's a good option. I like that. Because, per- Purdue would have been a really good place for him to be. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so that would make sense because Jeff Brown is going, to, going back to Louisville. And then, yeah, okay, so it would be perfect. Let's oh say Sean Lewis would have went to Purdue in this hypothetical world. You know, then, okay, he's going into the Big Ten. Everything's a lot bigger. You know, the the NIL, everything that you have to deal with is a lot, a lot crazier than what you have to deal with at Kent State. Sure, you're at Purdue and not like, I don't know, a better program. But West Virginia still, is the better answer, by the way. It's still not – It's it's a lot to learn on your own. And you're still in charge of being an ambassador for making the NIL at Purdue work. Why not just let somebody else do that? Why not watch and see how a master who's been through so much, you know, learn next to him? I don't see how this is like a bad move. This is actually probably like better than taking any head coaching job this year for Sean Lewis. Yeah. I think the general feeling here is that, like, this is really smart for Sean Lewis and kind of a bummer for the Mac. Sure, but you know what? Next man up, whatever. Yeah, and this one's a really special scenario. But I think, you know, you said level up the hard way. And that, you know, hearing how you describe the job, I'm looking at, like, who's the current head coach of the Mac. And I'm thinking, like, who are these jobs for now? Who, what type of guy wants to coach in the Mac. And I'm not asking that rhetorically. I mean, like, literally, like, what do you guys think? Like, what type of guy is interested in this work? Yeah, well, Justin, we're going to have to go back to old debates that we've had because, like, I remember when back when we did, like, Tuesday Night Lights, you know, the, the, the Sean Lewis hire made a lot of sense in your eye. But at the same time, Lance Leipold was happening, and I was like, well, I see other teams trying to pull off the Frank Solich thing, and Buffalo's doing the Lance Leipold thing, and that's kind of working out for them. Um, so you have to be somewhere in between the Lance Leipold of someone who wants to be in the hard build, who is like actually comfortable and happy, and just like these, you know, not as resourceful places to work at. Or do you want to be like, yeah, I'm young, I'm yippy skippy, I'm the one that's going to attract recruits because like. Being 30-something years old, that one, you're only going to get older. Two, uh, being next to a 30-year-old is not nearly as attractive as uh, being on a spot in a roster that's worth money. So that that whole thing of, like, being a reason why Sean Lewis was, like, you know, getting into the job, like, that being, like, a good part of, like, oh, this is going to work out, like, that's 
that's so so irrelevant now if it wasn't already i think you're onto something there because you look at the current coaches <clears throat> if this is if you look at pre pre-firing or like coaching changes what you have in, in the mac west three of the jobs are held by alums who probably weren't getting hired for G5 head coaching positions anywhere else. Is that fair to say of New Hammock and Lester? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like as much as I think of those names, Mike New is the best. Like I don't see his skills. And I said this before on this. But podcast. before he got the job, like he was probably not getting hired at a G another G5 as a head coach. No, exactly. Like even now, like and even now, is, yeah. Neither yeah. him, Lester, or Hammock, by the Nothing way. I don't think either of those are guys that a an AD at pretty much any other school would say. Like I mean Lester's record was good. Maybe him, but I think most G5 ADs would not say, like, yeah, this is the person that should lead our program. Mm-hmm. Um the other guy in the Mac West, <laughs> we talked about Jason Candle is one that we agree is probably going to you know, he could be a pretty good G5 head coach somewhere else. Like, I don't, it's weird that he isn't now, but I don't know. He's, it's, 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 he's feels stale, right? Like everyone coming into the season was like, yeah, maybe not. And then the other guy is Chris Creighton who just had his first eight win season. Why isn't he being, uh, why, why is he going to the P5? Why isn't he going to the P5? Save that one for FC11.com. I'm not going to um, answer that shit. On the Mac e- in the Mac East, you have a longtime assistant who has like been there forever in Tim Alpin. You had two of the traditional types of like hot name guys, right? You have the linguist and Sean Lewis. Those are the guys we'd normally associate with the Mac. Joe Moorhead also gets to be hot name. Sure, but he is a retread who like had his spell in the power five, much like Jim McElwain, who yeah, was yeah. I was also going to mention. Yeah. And so, so and then two you have young whippersnappers and one retread. And so then you have Chuck Martin, and then you have Scott Loeffler's in his own category of like wasn't a very good offensive coordinator. Generally, um, another guy who's probably not getting a job at another G five. No, right, right. At least when they were hired. No. And so what I see here is like you have alums who really want to be there for reasons unrelated to like the job, the resources, and stuff like that, who probably wouldn't be anywhere else. You've got some long, you got a long time assistant, a couple power five retreads. Moorhead's probably going to get another job, but we'll see. It's early. Um, and that's it. <laughs> like, those are your two main categories. It's like these retreads who are like comfortable being there because they're out of the rat race. And then you've got a bunch of guys who would otherwise not be there. And then a guy like Tim Alvin, who's like, he was just kind of there. <laughs> You know, it, it's working out, but like he was just there, and so that that can't be good for it because you and I have gone back and forth on this. Is like I used to be pretty gung ho about like no 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 you want guys like Mo Linguist and Sean Lewis in the conference like yeah. who cares if we're turning coaches over like you want guys who are good, and now, and then I kind of reverted back to like okay maybe it is good for the conference that guys are building programs and getting better. And like, neither have worked. Like you look in the Mac West in particular, the the experience thing has not fucking mattered at all because everyone sucks except for Toledo. And then in the East, the two hot name guys who are going to get bigger jobs probably never even have to win anything. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, Linguist has to win. <sighs> it's like the lack of resources is working to the advantage if you fit a certain archetype of, like, college football head coach. Mm-hmm. That you have this kind of built-in excuse. Super weird, by the way, on the Linguist front, because, like, Leipold won a ton <laughs> at Buffalo. Probably should have won three straight division titles. But like, but I think it was understood that like the timing was so weird, yeah, through the COVID situation, mm-hmm. and that like there was the Fair. transfer exodus at like Fair. at a weird time. So naturally, it's it's going to be uh, in a weird spot. And to his credit, like bowl game, we haven't mentioned it once. True. But they're going to a bowl yeah, game. they did beat Akron. <laughs> they beat Akron. They, they, beat they Akron. shouldn't have barely. Uh, that's that's my pessimist view of the whole thing. Is that like I think if What's going on here if a guy like Sean Lewis, who everyone assumes is like really, really good, and I, let's just assume he is, because I don't know, I I don't know who's good, <laughs> but and without you know like what? them winning games, but like if he's as good as like advertised, like finalist for a Big Twelve job, good, which is what he was. I mean, why why can't they win? Why couldn't he win more? Like this year, yeah, I know they had like the, the quarterback was gone, and there were some injuries and things like that, but like, what is and this is this is me asking out of curiosity again. Is like what is what is happening here? Is is everybody kind of recognizing that like these are just places that no matter how good you are, you cannot win except for a select few jobs? Mm-hmm. Maybe is it? I I wonder how much like the portal is like making things making situations be more unwinnable. You know, like at Kent State, like you know, if if Eastern ever decided to fire Chris Creighton for whatever reason, like. Chris Creighton's done a great job of like keeping things good in the transfer portal era and not losing a ton. I know last year, you know, you lose like two quarterbacks. That's that's terrible. Um, ended up doing okay. You know, didn't totally hit on everything, but it's it's the, the whole conference is a weird spit. I'm gonna try my best to, to put a bow on this, to so we can talk about some of the transfer portal stuff. I think a little bit, yeah. Not too is much. that like is it something about the conference or is it just something about the hires that were made of late um because i think it has more to do with the conference and the situation of the schools honestly what has changed over the last six seasons that has made it this way what happened because i think the Mac was very, very good from 2014 to 2016. That three-year period was very, like, arguably the second-best G5 conference good. Six seasons later, it's now regarded not only as the worst G5 conference, but also a conference that is, like, maybe literally dying. Yeah. Well, I, NIL and the transfer portal are big changes, but I, I refuse to, I can't, it, maybe it's just demographics and weather, and that's why the Sun Belt has just kind of usurped it. But like, that seems too simple for it to just be the whole thing. Well, so what are we trying to find out? Are we trying to find out like the next steps for like certain schools to hire certain coaches? Because I, I think I'm with Caleb here where like it is more school specific because like, like Buffalo was a good example. Buffalo is the one where like it saw success under, you know, finding the, the slow build guy, right? And then they knew he was going to leave at some point. They didn't, you know, they knew like he wasn't going to go to like a, like a high, like a high ceiling, many, many resort, like 
a place with like a like a ton of resources. That's why I went to Kansas, right? Um, and then they followed him up by getting the Flash guy, which is, you know, very different. But you do need a change. You do need a change when you're in charge of a brand. When you're in charge of a team, a we're, we're going to call it professional team. They're not really professionals, but we're going to say it. Mm-hmm. You do need like. And excitement. You do need a level of difference, like a change of pace. And you can get the guy, you expect Leipold to stick around for as long as he did, say like six, he was probably six years, right? Um, but he was five, a guy I you think. Was it five? He was a, whatever. It's, he's a guy you could, when you hire him, you expect him to stick around five to eight, maybe 12 years at the most, right? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of guy you're looking at there because of, you know, his personality. Molinguist, you do expect, you know, two to three years, but you expect him to get the exciting talent on top of a brand that's already slow built its way into a national relevance and a and a Midwest relevance too. So if you're if you're successful with those two head coaches in a row, I don't know what you're trying to get out of your third coach after a Molinguist, but I'm sure it's somewhere like a guy that you're expecting to keep around for that four or five year window again. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've been giving an answer that I think isn't particularly technical, but anecdotally it might make some sense to you guys. I think what could possibly have changed is that with the advent of uh, the transfer portal and the way college football has changed in the last couple of years, what Mac schools had to their advantage was not only getting like a few transfers like from bigger schools and you know it, those were just guys who made a difference here and there to fill in roles as opposed to trying to become the main guy max schools really really had to develop players over time mm-hmm. and that's what i think a lot of people are are frustrated with with the transfer portal right now and what what it's brought to college football is that it's not so much uh uh, the game is not a pro- what you see on television is not a product of the development of what has happened in a place over the course of two, three, four, five years. It is now a product of what has happened and it's scattered over the entire landscape of college football. And the Mac stands to be punished almost by the situation. And I think it's it, maybe people could have seen this, but I think that there's a possibility that the Mac has not the coaches that have come through the Mac and what the Mac has tried to do, it hasn't worked because you are not developing the same four to five guys that make the program what it is over the years. The Mac is really banking and hoping on finding their next quarterback, finding their next explosive big playmaker, finding their next big time defensive end cornerstone player in the portal. And they're not developing those guys within what they're trying to do over the course of two, three, four, five years. So I think you could, again, not a super technical answer, but I think that something developmentally is not working with the Mac and with teams in the Mac, and I think we might be seeing the product of that. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And and I think that does better explain, like, why we saw so many sloppy-ass games this year is because that developmental side was just kind of wiped just kind of wiped away and like when guys have to like players these 18 19 20 year olds 
have to keep like reintroducing themselves to new systems every year because they're transferring in and out with like, oh, I was, I was only there for a year. Oh, I was only there for two years. It just pays off to like be in a similar system because you just will have the intuitiveness to work the system to your advantage once you're finally in those games. There's this is a tough one, man. I mean, trying to figure out why everything's so bad. I'm looking at like who the head coaches were in the conference Ooh. ten years ago, and like, I think if you look at, I think okay, the 2012 season, you had Daryl Hazel who went to Purdue, flamed out. And then you have Frank Solich, who's obviously very good. Dave Doran is a current Power Five head coach. Pete Lembo is an associate head uh, associate head coach and special teams coach at South Carolina. Um, Matt Campbell. Well, was Matt Campbell a coach in 2012? Let me double check that. I think he was. I think it was Amstutz still. I think it was Beckman, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah. I'll get the answer real quick here. <clears throat> Beckman. <laughs> uh, it was Matt Campbell. Yeah, Matt Campbell. It was his first season. Okay. Um, Matt Campbell. He's a current. And then 20, Dave Clawson. Dave Clawson was a seven and five year, I think. Um, yes, correct. Um, but that was the 2012 football season. Solich, Doran, Campbell, and Clawson alone. Even if you toss out Solich. Ten seasons from now, I don't know how many of these guys are that are that coached in the MAC this year are Power Five head coaches. Still, at that time, I like Moorhead. Probably. Candle, probably. I could see Moorhead getting back into it, yeah. Candle, maybe. Lewis, probably. Moorhead is, like, the most, like, in 10 years, I could see him both still at Akron, and I could also see him at Pitt. Right. Yeah, I mean, good point. And, I don't know, I, I don't... I've, I've done a poor oh, job nice. of, like, tying this... Yeah, that would be actually really funny. Um, done a poor job. Auburn, after it obviously goes bad. Um, done a poor job like tying this all together. But I, I think I just – I'm trying to find like the right thread here where it's like not every time a, a coach leaves for a coordinator position means like everything is bad and that these jobs are bad. Like it could, it could just be, again, brought up the Enos and Lebo situation. They were going to get fired probably. This one's a weird situation with Lewis. But is it like, are these schools just screwing up who they're hiring? <laughs> or like, we know Bowling Green did a couple times. Um, but like, is it that? Is it that simple? And it's like, yeah, is the optimist view just like, yeah, just give it one more hiring cycle. Like, the, the next round won't be as bad. Like, it'll be fine. Or is this a permanent state of play for the Mac. And as someone who wants the Mac to be good, I don't like just settling for like, yep, this is just how it's going to be like better hope someone that played here 10 years ago wants to coach here. For me, it's not so much that I, this is how it's going to be going forward. Just, I, I just like right now develop me that developmentally, they don't have the formula and they're really suffering the consequences. So uh, to sum it up really simply, they're not in a good situation right now. In five years, they might be. Uh, just think you need a richer alumni. I think you just need alumni with more money. It does help. I think that's that's what these Mac schools can learn. Uh, like I, like EMU, like I know that they're adding on to its engineering program. Like 
I was once roommates or suite mates with uh, a student once who was in the engineering program. And I was like, I didn't know we had an engineering program. He was like, yeah, there's like 12 of us. I was like, oh, okay. But it's getting bigger. And, yeah. but you, but you need more of those. You need more engineer people with engineering degrees and fewer teachers. I had a professor at uh, Western one time who just said, who used to be a professor at Indiana. And he just said like, you want to know what the only difference between the average student in Indiana is and the average student here is when the average student in Indiana graduates, they give us a bunch of money for reasons I can't explain, but you guys don't. <laughs> it's like, that's it. That's the difference. And it's fair because like I haven't given Western a, a dime. <laughs> um, so I, in these trying maybe, times, in these yeah, exactly. in this economy, you're asking me for money. You just got. My thing is, I got to be, I got to be rich if I'm ever going to give to my college, and I'm not rich. Yeah. WMU just got five hundred million dollars. Like I, they're okay with donors; they don't need me. My thing, like I think college football teams would be better served if they had a collection hat just like being passed around during their home games like five bucks Imani Bates wanna, doesn't recruit himself you know <laughs> um, do you want to talk about the outgoing guys in the transfer portal uh, not for too long but yeah um, the big I got, name, I'm the one editing this. Remember why it's easy. That's right. This. That's right. That's very right. That's okay, right. The, yeah, you guys. Big name edit. is I have uh, to do this. We're at 90 the big minutes. Name is Dante <laughs> Cephas. Yeah, Dante Cephas. Dante Cephas is going to go to Georgia. He's going to go to Georgia. Oh man. Was he just offered, or is he? Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's a thing, okay. right? I know who was offered, but it, I think it happened while we were talking. Um, that's the only major news that happened while we we're talking, luckily. Uh, but Dante Cephas is gone. Uh, Western Michigan has a flurry of defensive players that are getting power five offers, namely Braden Fisk. I think it was he visited LSU. Uh, Ryan uh, Seelig. Pretty big deal. Ryan Seelig, I think, offered by Indiana. Um, NIU's leading rusher, I believe, is going to be gone. Car- Andre Carter's probably going to go to Auburn. Oh, yeah. Andre Carter's going to go to Auburn. Uh, Marshawn Nealon. offered by interestingly a defensive end often hurt defensive end for western michigan um has a year or two left in eligibility he had offered by ball state today actually i think i saw so that i don't think that's where he'll end up but that would be very interesting um and not the best look for western even though they're changing coaches and all that um pause caleb you tell me a a transfer that's in the portal that uh, wasn't just mentioned What's funny to me is that NIU starting running back and starting cornerbacks are both are all in the transfer portal. It's, it's one thing to lose a couple third-string players. Yeah, it's it's one thing to lose a lot of uh, random players in the third and fourth and fifth string, like NIU does every year. They just lost their uh, their leading rusher and their starting cornerbacks, including one of whom. And this is where you guys are going to find this interesting. Jordan Gandy started at South Dakota State because he didn't get recruited to NIU, transferred to NIU, immediately made an impact. Two years later, he's back out the door. He's like, you know what? I'm from here, but I'm ready to go see something else. Yep. Yeah, something might be going on there, which I'm sure we'll talk about in future we've pods. Seeing, so we've my, been seeing that for three years <clears throat> with NIU, though. By my count, NIU has more outgoing transfers than Kent State right now. Yeesh. That's weird. That's weird. Yep. And Kent State, you know, like yeah, you had mentioned someone already: Marquez Cooper, Dante Cephas, Colin Schley. 
um, all Mac guys right there. Uh, we are we had argued Collins Lee like last week. I'm like, why would he be an all Mac guy? Guess what? Third team all Mac, and he's gone. Uh, Montre yeah. Miller, he's you know he's pretty good. Aiden Hutchinson, lots of good Kent State players. They're probably gonna they might might follow Sean Lewis. Who's to say? I don't know. Maybe Kirby Smart's to say. <laughs> but NIU man, like like you just said, Caleb, they lost their leading rusher this year. Like we were talking about before the show. Uh, they lost their leading rusher last year, too, in Jay Ducker, who was the uh, Mac Freshman of the Year, I believe, at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, not good. There's there's whole units being wiped out by the transfer portal this year. Uh, basically, like, the entirety of Western Michigan's front seven has eligibility and is going to be playing somewhere else. Kent State's entire offensive production has eligibility is going to be playing somewhere else. Ball State's starting quarterback and Carson Steele. Um is going to be gone. Um, so, like, basically all of their offensive production, any but, meaningful offensive production is gone. And we talked a little bit about the Paddock thing, whatever. Yeah. But, but, like, but it's Carson still Steele's thing. the only one that, like, really hurts them. And even Correct. That, yeah, he had 1,500 like, rushing yards, and he's young, and, like, <clears throat> it hurts pretty bad. Yeah. And I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll wait to see how all of this plays out. But I think I'm, I'm on the – after a couple years of the transfer portal, my early ruling on this is that, and Caleb, I think you hit on this, I don't know, however many minutes ago, about how, like, the Mac has to develop players. You used to, once you got them to campus, have the chance to develop them for all four years. Now, these guys have always been here in the Mac playing really well. It's just we didn't realize it until they were playing big in the NFL. Now they're leaving to do this at the power five level early and the Mac has got to figure out how to get the best walk-ons possible. <clears throat> yeah. It's, I, I hope that's not a strategy because that's not going to go well, but they need to get <laughs> like, but like, it hasn't that, that's what NIU does every year. <laughs> hasn't that always been the strategy? Yeah. Well, it, it's more like guys that are, sometimes it's grades, sometimes it's trouble. Sometimes it's just, late bloomers sometimes guys playing wrong positions like uh like western michigan levante bellamy was really good and he went to western michigan because everywhere else in the power five wanted to play corner but he wanted to be a running back right like guys like that but i think in this type of world you think of a guy like levante bellamy i don't know that he finishes his career at western with the type of games he was playing he'd been gone because he would have proven that he could play running back right like Uh the next phase is the mac i think has to find a way to get the quality coming in from the transfer portal to not be like p5 guys who aren't p5 guys but guys that like and i'll give an example like guys like sam wigless are the future guys that are like p5 caliber the best possible buried on a very deep depth chart yeah like he's bit six string on ohio state knowing what we know about that wide receiver core like that's fine (laughs) Right, but what you don't want is a guy who was like, you know, the third receiver at Boston College. <laughs> Unless right? their like, receiving course is loaded. Exactly. Else, and right? that's how do you get those guys to be like, hey, you can spend your couple years at Ohio State if you want, but like come on down. Um Make after you're done play. trying. Yeah, give it the shot, but play like, a big game. Yeah, come come play down here. That I think is if we see more transfers like that, the teams that are able to get the 
the Sam Wigless types are going to be the ones that I think succeed in the future of, of this conference. But a big bummer is that I think we're just going to have to get used to not like watching guys grow for years. That's kind of going to be a thing of the past, I think, which is unfortunate. It's going to be more like professional roster construction, which is good for the players, I think, uh, especially since they can make more money. But it'll take some getting used to. Yeah. The um, I did want to I did want to ask. This is something we'll I'm sure we'll go over in due time. But uh, Daniel Richardson making a not surprising decision to answer the transfer portal. Does is Bert Emanuel the quarterback next year, or is Jace Bauer the quarterback next year, or is somebody else? Or does I, it, did it go after somebody else? I think yeah. I think the next quarterback's not even on the roster yet. Like they, they, they really... didn't trust Bert Emanuel to throw the ball, and you have to do that this day and age. Right. Central they... Michigan quarterback JT Daniels. Oh my fucking god! Not, I'm not against it. Look, they. Uh, Brandon they Armstrong, just, maybe. It's it's stop gaps. As much as Alec or Justin, and I have had more to, good to say about McElwain. I guess I don't know. Uh, they've had a stop gap at quarterback in McElwain's time. Dormady had him in a MAC championship game without even being really like even. Like good, so they they need there are worse. McElwain needs to figure out if he's like wants to have a a good quarterback in his system. He might not. I mean, like Caleb, there's worse ways to construct your a Mac football team than being just a transfer quarterback away from winning the whole thing. Like if that's where Central Michigan just always is under McElwain, it'll be frustrating, but like like, (laughs) not bad. Right, like if all you have to do is have your former Power Five head coach make the right phone call once, like you can do. It. I mean, like that's basically what happened with NIU. Like they they're used to raising banners, but they basically stole one because Rocky Lombardi is better than people thought. Um, yeah. So like, there are worse things to do. We haven't seen too many transfer like quarterbacks lead their teams to the MAC championship game, and I get that. That's like. A hard like thing to like crack and all that stuff but like like work with me a little bit like this past this past one right the quarterbacks the starting ones at least Curtis Rourke and and Daquan Finn those were guys that they held on to for both teams those were guys that you know they've recruited and like kept in the system respectively for a little bit and Daquan Finn's one of the types that honestly probably good enough could have been good enough to transfer out and make it into a P5 school, maybe a starter. I don't know. Um, who was the, who was here before that? It was uh, NIU and Dustin Crum. Both guys that, you know, Dustin Crum was in the system for a while. Rocky Lombardi, he was at MSU, so he was a transfer. Yeah, he was a transfer. Uh, Matt McDonald was a game away this year, technically. Matt was a game away, and he was a, he was a transfer, but also, like, not – you know what I mean? Because he was in the system. He's been he's been around a while, right? Um, Shane Morris had a really Only good year had one at CMU. Uh, I think they were one. They missed by one game. That Shane Morris year, I think, or they won eight games anyway. But who was on the other side? That was Brett Gabbert, freshman. Yeah. Also outgoing. He was like early, like the first domino to fall in the transport, But I think also least surprising. A little bit, yeah. It's always, like, not surprising once you're there for, like, three or four years. You know my stance on that. Once you once you get your degree, do whatever the fuck you want. Dude, yeah. Absolutely. You already you did the thing. Give it a shot. Who was in 2018? I'm blanking on that. That was um, Buffalo. 
NIU Buffalo Childers was the quarterback, <clears> which, you know, NIU got to the championship game because their defense was historically good and the run game was solid. So, so there's Childers a lot turned of turned an all timer in 2018. He did. That was yeah, awesome. No, that's, you know, I can't, that's, it's not fair for me not to, to mention that. Like, that my championship performance was ungodly good. I don't know. It, it's, it's probably a good idea to get any capable quarterback out of the transfer portal, really. But at the same time, it probably pays off a lot more to have guys that you've been recruiting since they were like 16 or 17. And like finding guys that like, one, meet the system that, that you know, you can work with on both sides as the player and the coach. But two, keep that quarterback happy enough to stay in the system for, you know, in your max system for, you know, three, maybe four years in Curtis Works case. I think that's where the juice is at. A lot of other things like, you know, it's you got to deal with like 22 starters, 25 starters with the special teams guys and someone it's big team. You got to worry about. I get it. But like quarterback, your most position, your most important position on the field. And on your team, I don't know if if you're a MAC team, you can like feel comfortable trying to portal your way into a good quarterback situation in most years. You have to be a Toledo or an Ohio from this year, like because the NIU thing, like they got through with a transfer quarterback. But like you said, Justin, like you've been saying, man, they got really lucky in a lot of those games. But they sure did. They haven't played a lick of defense in like four years. Yeah. Um, it would be kind of funny to have like a, one of these new head coach hires be like, "No, we're doing mercenary quarterbacks only. I will not recruit one. <laughs> like, walk on quarterbacks and mercenary yeah. transfers, and I'm going to spend all my scholarships yeah. on the offensive line." Yep. Having said all that, uh, Tim Lester definitely should have went to the portal for a quarterback. Uh, At the same, like as much as you yeah. want to like bank on like 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 I just said like the sauces and the guys that you recruit out of high school and keep them in the system because it's worked out for him with Wasink and with LB too I get that but man you can't sit on your hands when there is a hole at quarterback like you have to create a competition there which is something that I've loved about you know the way Creighton's built his teams ever mm-hmm. since he's gotten to Eastern where he's always created competition at the quarterback room. Well, the bigger indictment is if Tim Lester didn't think he had a hole at quarterback. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, whatever. I mean, that's there's a litany of reasons why that didn't work out. But, yeah, there, in the NIL Ball era. State too. I got to throw trans- Ball State in there, too, because they didn't go after a transfer quarterback. Yeah. In the transfer era, no, no matter the level, there's really not an excuse to be like a head coach in year six and just not have an answer at quarterback that doesn't involve injuries. Yep. Like, you just can't – you have to have someone that can play a little bit. And, like, by the way, Western Michigan with that defense, that the way it came on at the end of the year, guys, if that team has, like – if they're, like, 15% better at the quarterback position, they, they might have, you know, been playing for a division title the last week of the season. Like, as bad as the year was, like, that was the – you know, they could have patched it together with someone and, like, chose not to, I guess. So – uh, guys, we are very, very deep into this. I think I we, we should probably wrap this up with. Uh, I don't know, Caleb. What? How, how do you want to? How do you want to end this thing? Might as well end it on a positive note and just revisit the fact that Ohio made the MAC championship game. 
and was, for all sakes and purposes, despite not playing well in it against a good Toledo team, a season removed from losing their coach in August, basically. Was it like July, August? Uh, fan base was down on the team. Uh, not a lot of reason to believe that Ohio would be in the position that they were. Uh, the athletic department did a very good job of, of driving fans out to the early non-conference games. And despite those games not being pretty, Ohio was in close games in non-conference play, <laughs> took their lumps against the teams they should have taken their lumps against in Penn State and Iowa State and still had a remarkably strong season. Uh, whatever frustrations I had come from the fact that Ohio had a very good season, all things considered, and it just it kind of sucked to see it flame out a little bit. They have a chance to finish strong with a bowl win. I'm not super stoked about the fact they're going to a Barstool-affiliated bowl game. But whatever, I'm not going to let it make me feel sour about yeah, the overall experience that, that Ohio football had this year. The I, as much as like you know, our crowd doesn't love the whole barstool like affiliation with the MAC. Like I, I can't find myself like getting the energy to be upset that the bowl game even exists because, especially now that barstool has like a sports book, like they're going to have that bowl game for as long as they want it. You know, so I, I don't have the energy to just be like, oh, fuck those guys. Because like, right. I'm already like, oh, fuck <clears throat> those guys when I see like a pizza review on YouTube. Like, I don't. Right. Well, I mean, like setting aside any feelings we have about the brand, like the, it doesn't matter whether we like it or not. They have a close relationship with the Mac. So like that's just always going to happen. And then yeah. it's not as much of a bummer that it's a barstool bowl. It's that it's not on like actual television that yeah that part sucks. that's the part that i yeah. think hurts like if it was the you know the barstool bowl on like cbs sportsnet yeah, okay like that's probably fine but it, it seems like a kind of rotten reward for ohio but we're staying positive uh i'm very excited about the season ohio had i had a lot to be happy about Ooh, bahamas bowl let's be excited for the bahamas bowl <laughs> Hey, shout out to Moorhead. Shout out Akron. What a what a way to like close the year. I know they lost a close game. It was a dumb game against Buffalo, <laughs> but like they looked so much better the last like four or five weeks. Like that team is gonna be that's the early dark horse in that division next year. You gotta sweat them. Early favorites to go four and four in the Mac next year. Dude, that's that might be that Dude, might that's be what you enough. said that this season, Alex. I did say that, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. You said exactly Akron's going to go four and four. I'm going to have to go back and like look at all these predictions. They were close. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I can I can already tell you. I I, I assumed Jack Salpec was going to be good, and I put a lot of faith in Tim Lester, and it shows you to never do that. Uh, speaking of things that should never be done, quick lane bowl, Bowling Green, New Mexico State. Like I I'm I'm really glad to know that when the bowl selectors are like doing their like meetings and all that. Like there's an actual marketing phrase that they've circled and they've like given importance and that's sickos. Like sickos is actually a thing that's like being talked about by the suits. Like who's going to watch this shit? The sickos. God dang it. We were so close to having Eastern Michigan and Michigan state in that game, which would have been fucking awesome. No, I would, I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> it would have been amazing for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it'd be like, what, probably like uh, I feel like the highest attended bowl game that wasn't like a New Year's Six game. Maybe. Like I, I, but they just had to go to lose to Indiana. 
listen, I had the strongest suspicion going into the year that if they went bowling, which they did, EMU would end up exactly where it's at, which is the Potato Bowl. Um, cool that it's against San Jose State to make a, you know, a 35-year rematch of the Cal Bowl. Like, what a wonderful time for home field to print the shirts that they did earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, EMU got lucky by going bowling, one, going bowling for as many times as it has. Number two, uh, going to the Quick Lane Bowl in 2019 before the Idaho Bowl. Like, count your blessings, man. Like, if you're an EMU fan and you're actually upset about not going to the Quick Lane Bowl, like, dude, you're not counting your blessings enough. We went to the Bahamas. We went to the Camellia Bowl. Went to Mobile. Like, and we went to Detroit, which, like, most, <laughs> most people don't don't really like. But if you're an Eastern grad, like, hello, that's the best place for you. I came uh, against Pittsburgh was so cool, too. Yeah. Like, you're probably not going to go there twice in three years so we've avoided the potato bowl long enough now you know emu's earned the right to play for the potato bath for the french fry bath uh do we care about toledo liberty yeah go rockets baby go rockets uh go kyle vantries oh my god yeah (laughs) that's that's, like comically like one of the funnier he has to punt they, Georgia Southern has to let him punt once. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing else to end on, uh, but I don't I don't have my uh, end boom goes to dynamite button. Oh. <laughs> the, the well, other then thing. we just have to keep talking forever. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, obviously. And the other thing you should do is uh, subscribe to Ypsilanti 11. Send Alex to Boise. And boom goes to dynamite. 